Good to see you here today. I have the privilege of sharing God's word with you today. Um, so I'd invite you today to take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Let's pray as we open God's word this morning. Father, we do need uh, the sense of your presence here today as we uh, open your holy word. We love you. We thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. We thank you, Lord, for wanting to communicate truth to us and wanting to draw us near to yourself. Show us yourself today through your word. May we be drawn near in Jesus' name. Amen. One afternoon, author Patsy Claremont was uh, on an airplane and she found herself seated next to a young man. And I want you to listen to what she writes. I had already observed something about this young man when I was being seated. He called me ma'am. At the time, I thought either he thinks I'm ancient or he's from the South where they still teach manners or he's in the service. I decided the latter was the most likely and so I asked, are you in the service? Yes, ma'am, I am. What branch? Marines. Well, hey, Marine, where are you coming from? Operation Desert Storm, ma'am. No kidding, Desert Storm. How long were you there, I asked. A year and a half, I'm on my way home. My family will be at the airport. I then commented that he must have thought about returning to his family and home many times while he was in the Middle East. Oh, no, ma'am, he replied. We were taught never to think of what might never be but to be fully available right where we were. I want those words of that last statement to really sink in for a moment. We were taught never to think of where we might never be, but to be fully available right where we were. Now I, thought, I, th I think about that and I think about that in relation to where we are right now as followers of Jesus Christ. And I think about what God has called us to in his service unto him of reaching a lost world, of telling people about Jesus, about being examples to a lost world, shining the light of the glory of God in this lost and wicked world. And, and I think about how we need to be available right where you are, we are. Now you might find it as amazing as I do that 97% of, of the world has heard of Coca-Cola. And 72% of the world has seen a can of Coca-Cola. And 51% of the world has tasted a can of Coca-Cola. But Coca-Cola has only been around since May 8th, 1886, which is what, 137 years. Now it seems to me that if God had have given the task of world evangelization to Coca-Cola, that most of the job would have been done by now. But he didn't. He gave it to us. And I think God is looking for soldiers in his army who aren't just going through life thinking about all of the conveniences of home, but fully available for his service right where they are. Now let me help us to think about this. As we look at this passage in Isaiah chapter 6. It's here that we find the prophet Isaiah. A man who responded to the call of God in a way that I think 
He wants us to respond to his call. Let me just set the stage for you. Verse 1 begins in chapter 6. In the year of King Uzziah, in the, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Oddly, we don't know very much about the prophet Isaiah, except that in chapter 1 of Isaiah, verse 1, it tells us that he was the son of Amos. Some scholars suggest that Amos was the uncle of King Uzziah, which, if true, would make Isaiah an aristocrat of priestly lineage. We do know that Isaiah was spiritually sensitive because the Lord saw some qualities in him that would make him the ideal prophet to the apathetic people of, of Judah. Now, according to chapter 6 and verse 1, a vision came to him in the year of King Uzziah's death, which was about 740 B.C. On the international scene, this was a very secure period for Judah. To the south, the Egyptians were quiet. The steel-booted Assyrians were far away in the east. The sleeping giant Babylon was yet to be unaroused. On the domestic front, it was good too. Um, toward the end of Uzziah's career, he made a bad mistake. But Uzziah was a good king. Um, he had expanded his kingdom. Uh, it was a wonderful time in their history. Now, Uzziah, at the end of his career, you remember, he went into the temple and he offered some sacrifices, a task that was reserved only for the priests. As a result, he was punished for that. He, he had leprosy the remainder of his life. But, but all, up, all up until that time, he was a wonderful king. He did wonderful things for the land. His armies had pushed back the Ammonites and the Philistines, ex extended the borders of Judah, opened up trade routes. His treasuries were bulging. He fortified Jerusalem. He strengthened the military. He invested in agriculture. Wow. <laughs> if this guy had been running for prime minister of Canada, he would have won. He, you know, he would have won, right, with a record like that? Like, whew, quite a guy. And all was looking good for, for Judah's uh, future, too. As Jotham, Uzziah's successor, also did what was right in the sight of the Lord. But, you know, affluence and security had hardened the spiritual heart of this nation. According to 2 Chronicles chapter 27, verse 2, the people still followed corrupt practices. And you know, you'll find in any society that prosperity often leads to religious neglect. We're seeing that all over the world. We're seeing that in Canada. We're seeing that in the United States. who are both founded on uh, religious principles. In Judah, the men had an extraordinary greed for riches. The women were lusting for fashion and 
love to show off their latest apparel. Class distinction had simply become vogue. It was in style. They introduced foreign fashion. And the people became more informal in their worship and more focused on the things of this life. And so when they came to worship, you know, they were more interested in seeing, you know, who who was wearing what and the latest fashions than they were about really worshiping a true God. And it's for this reason that Isaiah received a call from God on his life. God wanted to denounce the frivolity, the laxity, the luxury that was so prevalent around them. Sound anything like the day in which we live? I think so. It's no surprise that church attendance is at an all-time low in North America. Church attendance was 73% in 1937. In 2021, it had dropped to 47% due to an increase in people who don't follow religion at all. That's astounding. There is a concerning laxity in our generation of people who aren't interested in worshiping God at all. That ought to burden our hearts. More than ever, we need to hear the voice of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Let's look at the vision that prophet, that the prophet Isaiah saw as he entered into the throne room of God. He began by saying in verse 1, I saw the Lord. <laughs> let, let that sink in for a moment. That ought to be enough. I saw the Lord. You see, when God called Isaiah, he didn't give him a vision of an apocalyptic catastrophe. He didn't give him a revelation of tribulation like he did to John. He didn't give him a revelation of people's wickedness or a vision even of his own future ministry. The Lord didn't even write in a big arch across the sky a message in flaming letters saying, I want you. No, no, no. Instead, God simply revealed himself to Isaiah and it changed his life that's enough to change our lives too in fact unless we see God for who he is we'll never be able to live for him or to love him or serve him as we ought to we must see the Lord now we probably won't have a vision like Isaiah did We probably won't see letters written in the sky, but we hear God's voice. We hear it through the word of God. We hear his voice through prayer. We see his love in other believers. We can hear and see the need of the lost world for a savior. That's how God reveals himself to us today and arouses us with his divine wake-up call. Have you seen God? Have you seen him? Are you looking for him? Because God is revealing himself everywhere that you look. Isaiah continues in verse 1. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
In other words, God's royal presence was everywhere. I really didn't understand the meaning behind that phrase, the train of his robe filled the temple, until I did a little bit of research on it. You see, in ancient times when kings went to war and they won a great victory, the king would walk, walk through the defeated enemy and, and he would take spoils for his men, for his soldiers. But the greatest recognition that the king had been victorious was signified when he would take a piece of the defeated king's robe and he would sew it at the bottom of his own robe. And the more, the longer his own robe was, was significant in telling how many battles he had won and in how many kings he had defeated. And so for a king in the Old Testament times, the length or the, the train of his robe would be an indication of his greatness. Are you starting to see the picture here? In other words, the longer his train, the more victories he had won, the more kings he had defeated. Now get this, in Isaiah's vision, he saw the Lord and the train of his robe filled the temple. Filled the temple. Wall to wall. Floor to ceiling. The robe of God's glory filled the temple and came around Isaiah with radiating splendor. There is none greater than our God. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He's greater than any king who ever ruled. He's greater than any prime minister or president. He's greater than any general of any army. He's greater than any religious leader. This is the God we love and the God whom we serve. And until we gain an understanding of who he is and how great he is, we can never love him. We can never serve him. And as Isaiah stands before this almighty God, he sees angels hovering above the throne. And he hears their voices booming. And what did he hear? Look at verse 2. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What an awesome scene. This is my favorite part of the vision. I want you to look at the scene. Isaiah is standing before the Lord, filling the temple with all of his glory. And in the midst of the temple was like an angelic choir, echoing to one another in worship. One stood on this side and another stood on this side and they echo back and forth words of worship. One on the left side says holy. One on the, the other side goes holy. Then they echo holy, 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 holy. We don't know how many angels there were. The word seraph is plural in the Hebrew, seraphim. 
And so there could have been two. There could have been 2,000. We're not sure. But the word seraph itself means to burn. And so these were angels of fire. Verse 2 says, with two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. From the left they crowd louder. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And then from the left, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And the sound resonated through that massive temple like a thousand drums. So that verse 4 says, and the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke and the voices on the left cried the whole earth is full of his glory and it echoed to the left the whole earth is full of his glory and the walls began to pound and the floor shook under the anthem of their worship you see to us the earth is full of riddles and and chaos and unfairness and corruptness our earth seems to be veering out of control and off course and a different destination but to God the whole earth is full of his glory he reigns supreme and he is at work everywhere and in everything and then again from the left, the angels cry, holy. And from the right, they cry, holy. And the ground shook harder. And the building began to tremble. And Isaiah loses his footing from the right glory to the left glory. And the smoke billows higher and higher and engulfs Isaiah. And look what he does in verse 5. And I said, woe is me. He collapses. He collapses at the feet of Jesus. Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Having seen this vision, he said, I am a man of unclean lips. In other words, he's lumping himself in with the rest of the corrupt nation. Which is interesting in light of the woes that he offers in chapter 5, if you've ever read through them. For it's there that he condemns the greedy rich and the heavy drinkers and the brazen scoffers and the unfaithful leaders and the conceited and the morally corrupt. And it's all of those woes that he previously directed at others now he directs to himself and he says, woe is me. You see, it's in the brilliant light of God's holiness that he sees his true self. And it's in his light that we also see our true selves. And he feels unworthy and naked before the Lord. And yet, unless he and unless we recognize the depth of our sin, we'll never discover true humility and God will never be able to use us as he desires. And then he says in verse 5, I am undone. Other translation says, I am ruined. Another one says, I am lost. The Hebrew literally means to cease, to cut off, to destroy. In other words, he really believed that God would show his swift and terrible wrath upon him. But instead, <laughs> he receives mercy. And this is what Isaiah needed. It's what we all need. 
Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. It's incredible how the burning coal of God's holiness becomes an instrument of his grace. And as the coal touches his sin-tainted mouth, to his surprise, he doesn't feel the searing pain of it, but rather a purging release. And verse, verse 7 says, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. In other words, Isaiah, you're forgiven. Oh, those words. You're forgiven. The sweetest words that anyone could ever hear. They sweep over us like a refreshing fountain of water on a hot summer day. They refresh our spirit. They relieve our guilt and our fear. Jesus says those words. Listen, Jesus says those words to every, every sinner who comes to him and asks forgiveness. You're forgiven. Have you asked? Have you asked for that? Have you heard those words from him? It's available to you. If you simply say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. And then look what Isaiah does. The Lord speaks for the very first time in the vision. And he says in verse 8, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Those are amazing words. And I want you to notice that he simply asks the words and then he, then he steps back. Could it be that this God of limitless power and mercy is looking for volunteers to serve him? Now he could have ordered Isaiah. He could have said, Isaiah, I choose you and you're going to go do this, that, and the other thing. He could have done that. And Isaiah probably would have re, uh, complied. He could have shamed him. He could have manipulated him. Hey, you're, an, you're a man of unclean lips and I've forgiven you and you owe me. But he didn't do that. Instead, he calmly asks and then he steps back and he waits. God is a gentleman. Maybe that's where you are with God right now. He's already asked and now he's simply waiting for your response. As for Isaiah, he didn't wait very long. He didn't need to wait. He said, here I am, send me. <laughs> here I am, God replies, well, Isaiah, you're pretty young, you know. And uh, I think you should probably wait until you're a little bit more mature, especially in light of your problem with unclean lips and all. And, and, and oh, you're, you're going to need some education too, so maybe after a few years of school, no, 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 no. No, no, no. God simply commissions Isaiah on the spot and he says, go and say to this people. And I think today that God is still asking the question, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And he's simply waiting to give the command, go. But he's not going to say it until we first say, send me. Some people are waiting to have a vision 
of some kind like Isaiah had. And it's probably not going to happen, folks. You're probably not going to have that. But today he reveals himself through worship and prayer and the scriptures. And some people feel like if they say, send me, they're gonna, they're, God's going to send them to some faraway country that they don't want to be at. And, you know, God, I just don't want to go there. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just going to hang on here. But remember that God was sending Isaiah to his own people right where he was at. <laughs> Not some faraway country. And, and some people... Well, it's sin that is keeping them back. Like Isaiah, they feel like if God ever finds out, <laughs> like God doesn't know, right? They're undone. But remember that the burning coal is intended to purify us, not destroy us. And then for others, they say, well, I, I'm not equipped. I, I don't have the right tools. But listen, God said to Moses, what is that in your hand? Oh, it's a stick. Throw it down before me and let me show you what I can do with a stick. And God said to Samson, what is that in your hand? He goes, well, it's just a jawbone. Let me show you how I can slay thousands with a jawbone. God said to David, what is that in your hand? Oh, it's just a sling. I can, I can slay drag, uh, dragons and giants with a sling. God said to Elijah, what is that in your hand? Oh, it's just a prayer. With that prayer, I can stop the rains from falling and astound the worshipers of Baal. Christians, what is that in your hand? Give it to God. Cast it down before him and see what he will do with it. You see, God might not make us into a fiery prophet like he did Isaiah, he might not send us to a foreign land, but he simply wants people to be available to him right where they are. And then with his empowerment, by his Holy Spirit, he takes what we have to offer to him. He equips us for whatever he asks us to do for his glory. The simple question that God asks is, are you available? Are you available? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this, your word, and for speaking to us today. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to convict us by your spirit to be available to you wherever we are, and to see you for who you are. Thank you, Lord, for this vision that Isaiah was given that allows us to see you for who you are, the King of kings and Lord of glories. And this is who we get to serve. We don't serve, serve some lame God. We don't serve some human being. We don't serve some idea. We serve the living God who is powerful and just and is able to do all things. And as we offer ourselves to you, Lord, we simply pray that you would use us however you want in whatever capacity and that you would receive the glory for it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mark. I'll ask us to rise up as we...